Twitter went public this year, and we're looking at the seven best tweets of 2013. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show, folks. I am David Hansen, joined by Morgan Housel today. Or should I say, at TMF Housel. That's me. We're all about Twitter today. Because we are doing a special show, the best tweets of 2013. We have seven tweets spanning the universe of, of investing here. So let's jump right in. Our first tweet is from Populism Analysis. And this is from March of 2013. He says, some people compare the killing of Archduke Franz Ferdinand to the start of the First World War, to the crisis in Cyprus and the end of the Euro. So if you remember the Cyprus crisis, everyone, so, suddenly we had thousands of Cyprus experts talking on TV. That always happens whenever there's, always whenever there's news. They, everyone becomes, they, everyone they hide. Becomes an, an, an overnight expert. On they hide, but they come out when Cyprus is in the news. Right. Uh, so the Cyprus banking situation, whether deposits w- would be taxed, uh, essentially given a haircut uh, because of the crisis over there, eventually there was a bailout. But I think this tweet talks about, and that wasn't the only person saying that. Some people are saying, right. this is going to be the start of World War III. Yeah. The euro is done. This is crazy. And it was a couple-week headline. And no one even rem- no one remembers Cyprus. And right. as, you know, they couldn't back then. They probably can't find it on a map today, just as they couldn't back then. Yeah, but I, what's, what, I think what's important about that is that that analysis where people compared it, you know, this is a small event that's going to blow up to something right. massive, that was believable. Mm-hmm. That, I don't think that was crazy talk. And I think just because it went a different way doesn't mean that people were nuts to, to talk about it back then. I think banking crises are very serious and should mm-hmm. not be uh, poo-pooed, even if in hindsight they turned out okay. Thankfully, this one did. Right. I mean, it, it's, I think it highlights a very fine line between a crisis going full-blown, nobody's doing anything, the banking system freezes up to kind of just a... Yeah, it, it's an issue, and it shows how hard it is to predict these things. Because you might have been, say that was closer to home and something that was bigger than Cyprus. Some people might have said, I'm getting out of the stock market. This is terrifying. And then it was a, a two-week headline. So I think it's right. very dangerous to see these big events and say, this is the trigger to the next world war. But a lot of people are saying it, but it's a very fine line. There, there have been a lot of triggers to the next world war of, since since World War Two ended. And there, there has not been a World War Three. Right. So moving on to... The second tweet of 2013 that we're looking at, this is from our own Joe Mager. He's at Mager. Fortune asked if buy and hold was dead in November 2008. The market is up 93% since then. And there's your answer. And that's, that's always it. People always wonder if buy and hold is dead right when you should be taking buy and hold seriously. It's the same story again and again. You can go back in time in the 1980s, 1970s, and 1930s, is buy and hold dead? They, ask, they always ask... <laughs> The answer is always no. We're going to ask it again in the future. The answer will still be no, but no one will believe it. So, yeah, I think if you're a patient investor and you can hold for five, ten years, then, these, then crashes like 2008 are not only non-destructive to you, they're great opportunities for you. Was it you that said the only people that think buy and hold are dead are the ones that don't have the ability to follow well, they can't it. follow it. The people who think buy and hold are dead are the people that are trading every day and have probably lost a lot of money over, you know, during their careers. Right. And they're frustrated, so they say buy and hold is dead. But people who have actually practiced buy and hold uh, are doing quite well. Anybody who bought the, mar- the broader market index fund at any time, has anybody lost money? Are we still at Maybe a little bit, maybe the last couple of days, but... Right, you know, when, right, when the market is at an all-time high, which we're close to right now, right. Or we were last week, let's say, that means no one who has practiced buy and hold has ever lost money, ever. That, that's, that literally is what it means. But think of all the m- money that's been lost day trading or trying to jump in and out of the market. I mean, 
trillions by people. Not by me, though. Not by you. You've got it down. <laughs> All right, moving on to the third best tweet of 2013. How could we leave this off? This is from May, at Warren Buffett. Warren is in the house. Now, that was a huge tweet, thousands of retweets, everybody commenting on it. But we were talking before, Mr. Buffett's been a little bit of a disappointment on Twitter. Because he have three or four tweets? He's tweeted three or four times since then. None of them have been very exciting. People were hoping now that he, when he joined Twitter that he was going to be sharing investment wisdom and whatnot. It's been none of that. However, I think one of the best things about Buffett, though, is that he has been more open to the public than any other billionaire, any other successful investor. So even though he's been quiet on Twitter... He's, he still shares quite a bit with us, and we're he, thankful for he it. He still gives us some good secondhand tweets, though. So maybe it's not coming from his account, but he's still out there giving some good quotes that other people are tweeting. I mean, he's the king of pithy one-liners. Right. So even if he's not doing it on Twitter, he's doing it in the media and in his letters to shareholders. So. All right, moving on to the next one. Speaking of Buffett, this is from Eddie Elfenbein. He says, the S&P 500 is up 99% since Warren Buffett's 2008 op-ed, quote, by American... I am. That was a big article. Right. That was in like October said, 2008, I think. Yes, that's that was the depth of the crisis right. there. Um, we talked about it on the show a couple weeks ago. Should you kind of blindly follow Warren Buffett? Could you do worse blindly following Warren Buffett and what he buys, what he says? We said don't blindly do it, but you could do a lot worse. In times of crises, I think that's a person you look to and say, what is he saying about this? I think you get a lot of wisdom from him. I think what's interesting is that in the years before the crisis, you had almost every investor idolizing Buffett and mm-hmm. saying, you know, you want to buy when there's blood in the streets and follow Buffett. And then when the crash comes and Buffett says, look, the market just crashed and I'm buying. This is what I told you to be doing for years. Everyone, or not everyone, but a lot of people stepped back and said, Buffett doesn't understand. This is not a good time to buy. St- crazy you know, old man. Crazy old man doesn't understand it anymore. And now four or five years later, you know, he doubled his money pretty right. quickly. So, and, and look what he's he said in the last year, these, quote, crises that have popped up, the government shutdown. What did he say about that? He was like, eh, it's I don't really care. Taper, what did he say about that? Oh, e- either way, we'll be fine. So I think when there's these big headlines, you want to go to Buffett and just say, what's he thinking about that? And more times than not, he's going to be right. I think it's just it's just a show, too, that successful investors, a lot. they're not – necessarily brilliant. They just have control over their emotions. Mm-hmm. So it's in October 2008. Buffett wasn't doing anything crazy. He was going out and buying blue chip stocks. It wasn't mm-hmm. crazy. You don't need brilliance to do that. You just need the intestinal fortitude to go out and say, look, you guys are kind of going crazy. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to step in here and buy for the long term. It's just... It's what he does. It's just a more level head than most people have. All right, moving on to the next tweet. This was a response from a question that we asked from our Twitter account at TMF Financials. We said... How would you fool in the blank? Blank is a stock I could buy today and sleep well if the market shut down for five years. And the response from John O'Greenwood was, of course, chicken. Chicken stock? Just chicken. I think the actual chicken that you eat. That's what, what he wants. Or chicken was, stock. I was, I was thinking it was chicken stock. It could be. You could make soup. That's what I thought. Maybe I misunderstood the tweet. What is the one food that you would be willing to eat for five years? Chipotle burritos. Really? Yeah, no question. Are you a burrito man or the bowl? I'm, I'm burrito. I'm all they have done studies, though that you get more with the bowl. 
Did you know that? I didn't know that. I, I feel cheated now. So, some, some more Chipotle tips for you and all of our listeners out there. You can ask for more rice and they don't charge. Oh, I do that every time. And you can get the, the grilled vegetables on there. No, no charge. When I was in college, I went to Chipotle so often that the manager started giving me free burritos once in a while. I would just come into the cash register and he'd say, you've been here so often. This one's on the house. <laughs> that's, that's, when, that's when you know you have a problem. I think that might have been my, my answer, too. When we first ran that tweet, I might have said a Chipotle burrito. Yeah. They're pretty darn good. All right, moving on to the next tweet from Shane Parrish. Small advantages over a long life lead to large differences in outcomes. Very interesting. Well, people are always swinging for the fences. They want the big gain today. It's, it's much more realistic and also advantageous to find a small advantage that you can hold on to mm-hmm. for decades. That's, that's both the realistic outcome and that's how you're going to leverage your odds of success over time. This is, you know, we're, we're, in, we're talking about investing, and that's very true investing, mm-hmm. but I think it's true for a lot of things in life. It's much easier to find a small advantage and hold it forever than try to knock it out of the park overnight. I think the same is true if you invert that, too. Small disadvantages can lead to oh, yeah. big disadvantages. Absolutely. I mean, that's the theory. That's costs in investing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're paying a 1% management fee, that's, you know, well, 1%, what's yeah, that? Whatever. Well, over 50 years, that's, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's, it could be millions of dollars. Right, whether, whether it's what you're paying an advisor or waiting to invest, if, you, if you're in your 30s and you say, oh, I'll wait till I'm in my 40s, I don't even need to worry about retirement, that may, that may seem like a small amount of time, but if you stretch that out over the next 50 years, that's going to be a huge difference. Right. All right, moving on to the final tweet of our best tweets of 2013. This is from Todd Wenning, at Todd Wenning. Everyone's a, quote, long-term investor when the market is going up. You see who really means it when the market is down. And I wanted to end on this one because the market has been going up. It's had an amazing 2013. And we hear more and more people saying, I'm a long-term investor. I'm going to buy on all the dips. That's, that's the plan. I'm waiting for the next crash. I'm going to pour all my money into the stock market. Right. You, know, you don't think that's true, do you? I mean, when, when everyone says they're a long-term value investor, that's probably when the market peaks. <laughs> it's when everyone says, I'm long-term buy and hold. That's when, you, that's when I would start getting nervous. And it's like we're talking about earlier. It's when everyone says buy and hold is dead, doesn't mm-hmm. work. That's probably when the market's bottoming. So what's, what's something that people can do? If you think that, that people are wrong in thinking that they can withstand anything, what's something they can do to, to help them not freak out when the market starts to go down? I've said you should take the amount of money you have right now, just whatever the number is. Yeah, you have $10,000 invested. Cut it in half. So write down the number 5000 mm-hmm. All right, $5 million. Five, Dave, David's, got, David's <laughs> Dave doing better than most of us. Yes. But then just look at that number and say, what, how would you feel if you logged into your brokerage account and you saw that number? Mm-hmm. Because almost certainly you will at some point in your life as an investor. You're young. You're at some time in your life, the market's mm-hmm. going to fall 50%. That's just what markets do sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think if you are comfortable with that number and actually seeing that number and thinking about that number, you have a better chance of, of actually withstanding uh, a, a crash when it comes and sort of keeping your head on straight when it happens. All right. You heard it here, folks. Morgan Housel predicting that your savings will fall by 50%. Oh, no, yeah. I'm just kidding. Good exercise, though. Go in there, look at your account, divide it by two. Can you withstand that? Do you have the stomach for it? That is our show for today, the best tweets of 2013. Our Twitter handle is at TMF Financials. Send us what you think was the best tweet of 2013, and we can address it on some other shows. That's our show for today. We'll see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.